Hello and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. This podcast, we are going to repost another podcast, which is called The Clean Power Hour, which is put on by Ken Montague and the commercial solar guy, also known as John Weaver, also known as a writer for PV Magazine. Well, Tim and I, we were hanging out there at the really cool ACES American Solar Energy Society conference in Boulder, Colorado. And Tim did a podcast. And what I like to do is whenever anybody puts me on their podcast, I repost it. You know, get some extra mileage out of those things. So remember to go to solar, S-E-A-N, solarshawn.com to take classes so you can learn how to get NABCEP certified. Another thing is Tim Montague and myself are part of a package of classes that you can take that will prepare you for the NABSEP PV Technical Sales Certification. And I always recommend to people that are looking for somebody to install solar to make sure that the solar salesperson is NABSEP PV Technical Sales Certified. So you can go to NABSEP, that's North American Board of Certified Energy Practitioners or NABSEP.org. And then at the top of the page, it says professional directory. You can go down to the board certified directory. And then you can search for the NABCEP certified people in your area. I hear all too often about people buying solar from an uneducated solar salesperson. And that's not always the best story. So some of the things that we're going to talk about here in Tim's podcast, the Clean Power Hour, are things like Can we go all renewable? I think we can. Let's hear it. Welcome to the Clean Power Hour Live. I'm Tim Montague, your host. Today is August 10th, 2023. We're here in Boulder, Colorado at the ACES Solar 2023 Conference with Sean White, our special guest today. Welcome to the show, John Weaver, my uh, commercial solar guy and my co-host. Hey, Timothy. Uh, thanks for all the hard work you guys are doing to set this up remotely. That's pretty cool that you're in Colorado. Great uh, great volumes of solar out there. So, good place to be. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know this, Colorado is a real thought leader in the renewable energy industry. It was an early adopter. There's a lot of uh, programs educationally, a lot of organizations. We're, we're here at a conference for ACES, the American Solar Energy Society, but there's also COSA, the Colorado Solar and Storage Association. There's also CRESS, the Colorado Renewable Energy Society, I think is the name of that organization. So many storied organizations. ACES dates back to 1954, Sean informed me. Speaking of Sean, welcome to the show, Sean White. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tim and John, commercial solar guy. It's, it's great to be here with you guys. Great to be in Boulder on a nice sunny day with not too much atmosphere in the way of the solar arrays here. So we're maybe peaking out at over a thousand watts per square meter today which is pretty exciting <laughs> today I really like it sorry i'm gonna interrupt you i really love anybody whose conversation basis starts with the watts per meter squared because that means you're a proper solar professional so sean yeah, that, yeah there we go that's, that's what it's all about you know what kind of blew my mind <laughs> is that we had the governor governor polis was here yeah. two days ago giving a little bit of a talk he said solar module. I never heard of an actual real politician saying the word solar module, you know, because they're always saying solar panels. So this guy's educated. We got him. This is a, this is a great solar place. I uh, love being here. Yeah. Nice yeah. rocky mountains. I'm looking at a rocky mountain right now. So. And you guys are now nearby the soon-to-be Meyer Burger solar cell facility that's just going to be south of where you guys are in um colorado city i believe is that i think is where it's going to be old intel facility if there's a colorado city uh but there's we've just been watching and you're also really close to golden colorado of course which is the home of nrel so it's uh you're just in one of the most beautiful places on earth man good job yeah that's it yeah, Tim has a booth right next to the NREL booth, and um, and so it's pretty cool to see all the NREL stuff coming on. And we had a, actually a really awesome speaker named Peter Green, and I think he's the deputy director for NREL, and he was giving out all these great statistics about how fast the solar industry is growing and when we're going to get up to 100% renewables and 
things about like how it would be great if we had transmission lines all the way across the country but we don't so that'll require more nuclear power according to you know what the way that he looks at things but i want to look uh, apparently all of these aces talks are posted online um or will be posted online if they aren't already it's in the process and then i'm going to go back and i'm going to watch that one and learn some neat stuff from all the smartest people in the world at nrel hmm. i agree mm-hmm. and that's the national renewable energy labs in fact there's i believe it's right now i think there's a tour to nrel for people at the conference so they can go check it out i've been there a couple of times doing uh, you know it's like pre-covid doing some national electrical code writing workshops um or you know where we come up with new things for the code so that it was kind of fun to see this really fancy billion dollar lab which yeah. is probably more of a billion dollars and it was put together originally by jimmy carter <clears throat> we got to say his name while he's still around and um and jimmy carter um called it the solar energy research institute and then the guy who was after him i can't remember his name just kidding but um he he kind of changed it around a little bit and took away some of the funding and and it, and changed it to an NREL, which is fine with me that's a nice acronym national renewable energy lab they got pv watts all that good stuff over there mm. yeah we're very lucky to have NREL. Uh, if you're not familiar with NREL, check it out national renewable energy laboratory one of the cool things I learned is that they're not actually part of the DOE. They are a subcontractor. So it's a semi-private institution. I always thought it was part of the DOE, but it is not. That's something new. Did I you know that, that, Sean? I didn't know that. I know it's got a .gov after it, so it's yeah. got some kind of... Yeah, they pretend to be part of the government, but they're not. Um, they're so. not. I could, I'd like to get myself a .gov then, you know? Maybe we could do cleanpowerhour.gov. Maybe yes. That out there. <laughs> the governator. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we had one of those over there in, over in California, behind the California Solar Initiative, you know, <clears throat> muscling in all this renewable energy. So I want to I want to uh, talk about the myths of the energy transition today with you, Sean, because uh, you're so knowledgeable about solar and storage, and as as John and I are as well. But you know, one of the myths is that we don't have enough precious materials like copper or silver or lithium to make enough solar panels, wind turbines, and batteries to clean the grid and decarbonize the economy. And even I run into energy professionals, clean energy professionals, who have heard this myth so many times that they've incorporated it into their story. And it's just plain wrong. We we have credible evidence. And Chris Nelder has broken this down on his podcast, The Energy Transition Show, if you're not familiar with that, check that out, energytransitionshow.com. Wonderful podcast. It is behind a paywall, but you can listen to the first 20 minutes of all those episodes for free. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's like $6 a month, so it's a very reasonable uh, fee to join Chris's podcast. But what do you gentlemen have to say when you hear that criticism that we just aren't going to have enough stuff here on planet Earth to make the clean energy transition you, you know i i know that some people out there listen to rush limbaugh and you know you can get your information from one source or you can get your information from another source and according to some of these people um even like a solar module will never pay for itself i've heard that one and it and that you know it's like a solar module will never make as much energy as it took to make it and that might be true if you don't ever use the solar module or it's like on some call box where nobody uses it, something like that. Um, but for the solar that we're doing, where we have a terawatt of it in the world, it takes, I don't know, maybe about a year to comp- you know make the energy that it took to make a solar system or a solar module, depending on your sources and all that kind of stuff. And so these systems, you know, they're going to go for a long time. A lot of people are worried, all worried about recycling. And if you want to know where to recycle your solar modules, just give them to me because I'll go put them up and I'll put another 30 years on them. And then somebody else could do that after that. I have solar modules that have been in, um, working since the 80s, the good old Arco solar modules that were out of the Carrizo Plains, which is now a really big solar place, too. I think I flew over it the other day. 
Um, we have tons of solar there. And so it's so another thing that too, that I just another hobby of mine is geopolitics. And so listening to how everything works. And there's this guy that I kind of like listening to his name's um, Peter Zion. And he's actually um, out of Colorado. He's out there like doing some hike. And, and then he, but then he makes these crazy statements that sound like he got his information from Rush Limbaugh saying that solar is never going to make the energy that it took to make it or something like that. And it kind of uh, just, throws me off so if you wanted to you know get the the exact data of what what it's going to be you can look to look to nrel um lithium uh, there's tons of lithium in the world uh, we're not going to run out of lithium and lithium is what you make lithium ion batteries most of what's going on in a lithium ion battery is what we're using we're not using like lithium metal batteries with a lithium metal anode is it's um it's just lithium ions it's more nickel than lithium they maybe they should call them a nickel battery and if you want to get a bunch of nickels just like melt a bunch of nickels you know in fact i've heard that you can if you melted a whole a million dollars worth of nickels you know like our five cent coin you get two million dollars for a million dollars worth of nickels so they're there that, that's an idea for somebody who is good at melting things like our um like some of our ancestors did you know melting metal and all that stuff so I believe that um, you have something like in the ground, the lithium reserves, something like enough to get 10 billion Nissan Leafs, and that's plenty. And then after that, what you can do is you can go into the um, into the sea. Like there's lithium in seawater. There's tons of lithium. It's the third element on the periodic table. It's the lightest metal. And, you know, first in the beginning, there was hydrogen. Then there was helium, and then there was lithium, and uh, and that's the version of the Old Testament that I read. Um, and so that was right after the that was right after the Big Bang. I, sorry, I I make some jokes that sometimes people don't think I'm funny, so um, I apologize. <laughs> we, like those, advance. we like yeah. those types of jokes uh, on the Clean Power Hour. Come on, uh, we love them. Okay, <laughs> yeah. You know, my Tim, my biggest response when people say, "Hey, we're not going to have enough," is that. Before I was born, people were saying we'd run out of oil in the 70s. Then after I was born, they were saying we'd run out of oils in the 80s and the 90s and the aughts and the teens. Right. And my personal opinion is that we will never run out of oil for the same reason of that other phrase, which I really like. The Stone Age didn't end due to lack of stones. It was advanced technology that left the stones in the ground. And... We're probably going to have oil seeping up out of the ground for the rest of human existence that we will soon see as valueless because we're going to come up with new technologies which will leave this archaic burning of goods in the ground. And uh, like Sean said, lithium is, you know, the third most, maybe still the third most abundant item in the universe. It's very reactive, so who knows how much is left. But we also don't even have to worry about lithium necessarily. There's now sodium batteries. There's flow batteries. There's there's recycling of these batteries. The batteries are so valuable that they don't go to um, get recycled or they don't go to the garbage because people are literally bidding on old car batteries. They're worth so much. So I lean towards Sean's answer of we're not going to run out of stuff. We're, we got plenty and if we ever get to the point where we've manufactured so much of the Earth's surface, we're probably, and this is where we start getting into our fun stuff, Tim, we're probably going to be mining asteroids in space and doing 3, 3D robotic printing or something cool like that because we have grown so much as a species. So I've, we got plenty of goods. So I found the reference. Yeah. It's episode 194 of the Energy Transition Show called materials requirements of the transition and he has a guest on the show called zeke house father house father h-a-u-s father and zeke and company uh, wrote an article called future demands for electricity for electricity generation materials under different gener materials under different climate mitigation scenarios published in jewel volume 7 january 27th 2023 he also references Dave Roberts' podcast, or article, sorry, in Canary Media, February 4, 2023, What You Need to Know About Minerals and the Clean Energy Transition. And so these dudes analyzed 17 key elements for clean energy generation materials and concluded that, lo and behold, we have plenty. So, and this is, Jewel is a legit 
peer-reviewed scientific journal, very credible. And um, uh, there's a bunch of other references there on this on this landing page. So just check that out. And I love this myth, but it is it has been completely debunked. So if you're an energy pe- professional or a clean energy professional, much less, do not let this myth. Uh, come out of your mouth because it is not true. There's a couple other myths, though, that we need to, to address here, gentlemen. And and you 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 have already uh, referred to one of those, and that is the fossil fuel myth. There's a myth that we can't make the energy transition without fossil fuels. And you know, as Sean was talking about, a, a solar panel, for example, pays for itself energetically in a couple of years. And in fact, we now have the technology to make solar panels with pure electricity from photons from the sun. So what do you gents have to say about this myth, about the need for fossil fuels in order to run a clean economy? You know, I was thinking about going, taking one step back, too, because John got me all excited when he, was, when he mentioned the Stone Age, and we're in Boulder, <laughs> you know, and I really like the stones. I was inspired by There the are lots of rocks here. And, and then so you look at those stones, and what are they made out of? Silicon and oxygen and a couple other elements like that. Some right. iron in there for the lithium-iron batteries, lithium-iron phosphate, LFP. And, um, and so all we really need to do is to refine that silicon is to get our DC arc furnaces from PV, um, from, that we get out of these stones from the Stone Age that we're still in, maybe and, you know, we could say, and then um, and then we, yeah. we we vaporize the rock with that those DC arcs just like they can do with coal power, and then we are making solar modules, you know, and, and we could do that here on Earth. We could do it on the Moon. Um, and the, there's a lot of talk actually in the space community about doing stuff on on the Moon. You know, if we if we we get there because it's made out of the same thing as the Earth is made out of second most abundant element in the earth's crust is silicon and so that's just pretty much a stone that that, that that's coming out of there but yeah after like, uh, we, after what iron oxygen actually the oh, stuff okay. we breathe so oxygen's very wow. reactive and it oxidizes things and silicon's very reactive too so pure silicon doesn't exist uh, on earth until we refine it and then we get it to be seven nines pure that's 99.9999 nine percent pure silicon and then that makes computer chips that makes solar cells and it's super abundant it would be we have plenty we could cover the earth earth many times over with solar cells so that would look sort of like the death star though not too pleasant i'd rather go hiking in boulder (laughs) well that is my concern that we're going to create an ai that wants to go intergalactic and it's just going to cover the earth in solar cells and then we won't have any food or drink um but uh john what do you say about fossil fuels and their their need relative to um running a society on wind solar and batteries well we do need them for the transition because we need energy for the transition however once the transition occurs um we probably won't need them for energy's purpose we could use them as a great backup source during the late transition for say um low capacity factor peaker plants is one item where we use gas plants in their current status where they are only used from like three to ten percent of the year and in places like minnesota or tim where you are in the great north central um where it you know, there can be some doldrums during the winter time when solar is low before we, say, winter size our solar. So in the late transition, we probably will still need gas. Uh, but then after that, we're not going to need it. Uh, there's multiple layers where we could remove these high-risk moments. We could do transmission. If we do transmission, we fix a whole bunch. However, we might only do a third of the transmission we need or half of it, or we might not do, say, in the U.S., a national HVDC network. If we don't do that, then guess what's going to come in? Batteries. And we're going to be inefficient relative to transmission, but we can manufacture batteries because we are expert manufacturers as a species. And it would be unfortunate if we do this many batteries, but I feel like it will win and it will still work. You know, each place has plenty of sun, plenty of wind. I've seen analyses that said we have enough land surrounding every large population center to do solar to meet their basic needs. 
So if we're forced because we choose, and that's a choose word, we choose not to do HVDC, then we'll figure it out with batteries. And we might still use oil, though. I mean, oil is a useful material. Um, We make tons and tons of things of it, uh, but we just might not burn it. And we can make the manufacture of products from oil emission-free by capturing it or, you know, sometimes when the oil breaks down, it keeps the material in there and the the CO2 in there. So I, the I just critique, don't think from an energy standpoint, we're going to need it. It's the, going the, away. the critique that I, that I heard recently that really irked me was, well, look, even the back sheet on a solar panel is made of plastic. And that is true that today... For a monofacial solar panel, the back sheets are often made of plastic. But yeah, tomorrow, we're going to use glass on glass. And glass on glass is taking the industry by storm. And all solar panels are going to be bifacial in within a couple of years, I predict. And yeah, even so, some of those major manufacturers are moving away from monofacial completely, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we had Peter Green, from the deputy director of NREL here, and he... Um, had some pretty neat terms. I remember one of them was the inverter grid, but another one was he was talking about electrons to molecules. And so they can take hydrogen, which you can make with electrolysis, and you can turn that into all kinds of different petrochemicals by combining it with CO2, taking CO2 out of the atmosphere. You can make airplane fuel. You can make um, plastic. And so you can make back sheets. So you can do the whole thing. And I think that we could get along just fine without having any gas. Um, if, if, if I was just in Alaska, I used to live there, and there's all these people living out there for 20 years, and a lot, most of them just figured out how to do it themselves, and they have they live off of pure solar energy, and they have some wind turbines up there to get them through December and stuff like that. So it's totally possible. I mean, if these people can do it with that old technology, um, I kind of one time I like kind of ran some numbers and tried to figure it out. Like, if, what does it take how, for one person? Like 10 kilowatts, 20 kilowatts. A PV, something like that. So what if everybody in the world installed 20 kilowatts? How long does it take a person to install 20 kilowatts? What if the whole world took a year off and just and, and, then to, and then did the transition? That would be kind of the equivalent of what it would take. And so I'm kind of of the opinion that, yeah, humans are smart. We, have, we came up with people like Einstein, and we could figure this thing out. We could engineer it out. It just takes the will and we no problem. We got it. So that's a very good that, point, that, Sean. That we can just make artificial, uh, so so to speak, right? Plastics uh, from CO two directly capturing it from the atmosphere. Well, you know this comment that you just brought onto the screen, Tim Christopher from, Sylvia. Thank you for the comment. That's uh, one of my favorite responses as well. Let's save it, <clears throat> right? And and with that response, though, my my response with that is. I don't really care if we use oil for stuff. The goal, oil in and of itself, isn't bad. Burning of oil and its emissions going into the atmosphere causing uh, the greenhouse effect is the issue. Oil in and, its, in and of itself, whatever. You know, it's, it's, not, it's toxic to touch and all kinds of stuff, so you don't want to, like, bathe in it. But it's not, oil isn't bad. It's the burning of oil. So if somebody says, John, your back sheet's made from plastic, I'm like, yeah, who cares? You're missing the point, my friend. Pay attention to the real game. It's not about oil. It's not about gas. It's about releasing it into the atmosphere. So if we take some plastic or we take some oil and we throw it through the plastic machines and it outputs plastic, great. As long as we did that work using electricity that's clean and we didn't allow the emissions from the oil breaking down to escape that's what matters so so yeah tim if we have glass glass bifacial modules great we don't have to worry about the back sheet but we still got junction boxes that are probably made out of plastic we still got copper wires that had an outer uv protective layer that's made out of plastic wonderful make it do it like chris christopher said just don't waste it burning it use this oil for something useful medical supplies whatever so yeah. Those people are just missing the argument. They, they're not even in the same playing field. we got to recognize that sometimes. So the other, the other criticism or the other myth that I want to talk about is that we don't have the time, money, or manpower or human power to make the energy transition and achieve a net zero economy. Um, 
I will point our listeners to peterfakowski.com. Okay, Peter is a scientist, an engineer, and a serial entrepreneur. He's an AI scientist and an AI entrepreneur, a trained astrophysicist. He has a wonderful book called Climate Restoration. Peter's going to be coming on the show in the next month or so. And the website is Peter. Fikowski, F-I-E-K-O-W-S-K-Y.com. And he, what, he, what he did is a first principles analysis. So he made a huge list of all the potential solutions to the climate crisis. How do we uh, take carbon out of the economy and then suck it out of the atmosphere? Because there's a trillion tons of CO2 pollution in the atmosphere from industrialization. And he concluded that there are four simple solutions, and the price tag is only a billion dollars a year. Now, we have a $20 trillion economy, and Elon Musk, his personal wealth is something like $200 billion. So one billionaire you know, amongst us, and there's now, I think, over a dozen uh, billionaires on Earth, could completely are, are solve... Are you counting me? <laughs> I hope so. Um, Dozen, Tim. Tim, hundreds. There's hundreds. I think we're like 400 billionaires. There's, oh, wow. there's hundreds of billionaires, yeah. So what do you what do you gents have to say to this, uh, this myth that we don't have the time, money, or talent, basically, to make the energy transition? Yeah, a billion dollars a year sounds pretty cheap to offset that, but one of the, I, this morning I was on LinkedIn and I somebody had a picture of like waves in the ocean that were plastic like cut you couldn't see the water you could just see the plastic it was somewhere down in South America and so we got to take that carbon that's in the plastic or wherever it is could even be wood chips and stick it down in those oil wells back where we took it out from where we stole it from the dinosaurs from the you know from the dinosaur burials I'm just kidding you know it's mostly plants but that's you know what are we going to do with that co2 there is just plain old chemistry uh humans are smart we just got to do that chemistry and put that um co2 someplace besides the atmosphere and so co2 could be like anything like you know carbon-based life um wood wood biomass whatever and make it so it doesn't go back into the air so like we look at the the back sheet of the pv module if we don't let it go back into the air that's great we don't want it to go into the ocean. Um, is you know burying it? Will somehow it seep out or decomposing it? What will happen with that? Um, but, but those are all things that we can solve. You know. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I mean that 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 just seems like somebody's thrown up every single argument they want, Tim. Uh, we don't have enough time. Well, you know what? If we don't do it, we're going to die. So there's that. Um, <laughs> we don't have enough money. Um, well, I mean, I last I saw a document the other day from the World Bank that says we have a hundred trillion dollar global GDP. Um, I've seen numbers saying it might cost like sixty trillion dollars to completely upgrade the global system. So, are you saying that we have enough money that we can make it in like Q one, two, and three, and then have some left over, like an extra fifteen trillion dollars in Q three, and then Q four is all for Christmas presents? You know, we got money. Talent? Listen, Tim, we have you. We have Sean. That's all we need. We're good now. And the commercial um, solar guy. Yep. And the commercial solar guy. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, you know, and people, you know, so all of that is just somebody just throwing spitballs at the wall, Tim. We built a global, we we can manufacture so much stuff. We're, like, so good at it that it's bad for us. Um We've now gone from people saying, oh, you guys will never be able to make enough solar panels to you guys are making too many solar panels. And same thing's about to happen with batteries. I mean, we're in the same curve, downward in price, upward in capacity. Um, these are boring people. Don't hang out with them anymore, Tim. So the, uh, the, 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 the element of this myth that I am concerned about is that we don't have enough talent. And, and I on some level concur right we do need uh hundreds of thousands of more people to come into the energy transition they're coming and sean sean is helping them uh with his nabsep training we need a million electricians for example uh that's just here in the united states so if you're if you're listening to this and you're casting about for a career uh run to the trades and run as fast as you can because these are well-paid jobs uh 
and you can you know get started today with a high school education you don't need to go to college now if you want to go to college that's great too and become an engineer or part of the finance team or part of the sales team or the marketing or project management etc um, but we do need to get serious about bringing our young folks and I'm talking starting in middle school into the energy transition because a 12 year old becomes a 22 year old in just a decade and here we are in 2023 so in 2033 right we're, we, we need to build that and, and, and I'm curious what you gents have to say about the talent pool for the energy transition I mean we do have something called low unemployment which kind of means a labor shortage so it gets a little bit tough and then we have lots of anti-immigrant sentiment we have um also, it's 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 kind of natural for if you were the only electrician in the world to keep it that way because you could charge a billion dollars an hour, you know. But we need to do things so we can get more people into these careers as, as fast as we can. And um, and so, like, one thing that I try to tell people to just kind of inspire them is, like, do you want a million dollars? Because this is how to be, get a million dollars. You can get a million dollars by being an electrician. So is that 100000 a year for for 10 years is it 50,000 a year for 20 years uh, it depends on where you live and then you have higher cost of living where it's $100,000 a year but it's totally doable and um, and so these people just have to to do it you know and it could be all kinds of there's just every kind of career that you can think of um, I forget exactly what year it was but the also once again the guy Peter Green from NREL was giving some numbers I think it was something like 25% of people are going to be in renewable energy jobs um, coming up, or was that, or was it Larry Sherwood? But those are that, he's another guy. He's the president of IREC. Can't remember which guy did the talk. Um, but there, it's just there's so many jobs, and it, and it, um, whatever job you have, even if you don't know you're you're dealing with renewable energy, the UPS driver. I was just answering somebody's question on my class today as a UPS driver taking my solar class on on at HeatSpring. And um, and I was saying, you know what? You've already worked in the solar industry because you probably delivered some MC connectors to a job site. You know, you might not even have known it. Right. So there's um, there's just all kinds of jobs and careers out there. If people want to get um, into the industry and they don't know where to start. Um, that they should probably start off with doing something like the NAPSEP associate exam. And by the time they've finished that, uh, take a little class. Um, and then they, you know, it takes about equivalent of a week's time for the average person and they can pass the associate exam and then they'll know where to go to next and how to adopt their career if they're in finance or whatever i mean i imagine the three of us just you know we're not we're not 20 in our 20s we've probably had previous careers you know um and so that so many people um can adapt what they were doing to the renewable energy and then this is also a time in, in the world where it's the first time we're doing the right thing is doing the thing that makes you the most money. So before, people were doing all kinds of bad, evil stuff to make the most money. <clears throat> and um, and now, you want to make the most money? You know, you got to get into renewable energy. You know, that's where it's at. You're going fossil fuels. That, that industry's dying out if you didn't know it. <laughs> so, so, Sean, I saw that same stat that you saw recently within the last couple of days, 25 to 30 to 33 percent of all jobs that are coming in like the next 10 years or 20 or something like that will be in the advanced energy, renewable energy world. Um, I think, you know, we're putting out bids right now for projects that are larger than one megawatt AC, and that's a grid connection, one megawatt. And these projects we have, and I'm still learning how to do this art, but in these projects within our Gantt chart, as we're developing our bids, our labor costs are now double what they were. And I'm ecstatic about the opportunity to pay people prevailing wage and even to bring in the union guys now because we can afford them in our projects and our customers will pay it because they want the 30% tax credit from the IRA. And so I got to tell whoever decided to put that thing into the IRA, um, yeah, it was scary at first to think that, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to pay people 70, 80, 90 bucks an hour to sling some solar modules. But now I'm kind of happy about it in reality because 
we're going to get good people who want to earn, who are going to earn some good money and we're going to take care of them and that makes me feel like a real business owner that i'm really taking care of my employees and the people working for me and so i think that we're going to have a massive volume of electricians and installation crews mechanical installation crews who are going to be very well paid and very highly motivated to give their time to the solar industry and you know that's that's our, our million people you know we got 340 million in the u.s that means we need less than one-third of one percent to fully kit out the solar industry just in the u.s i've heard there's like 10 million people in solar globally or three to ten or five to ten i we'll get there we just got to pay them and be patient we're growing we're growing another uh, another wonderful resource for our listeners is a book by eric posse uh, fellow solar professional up in Minnesota. He wrote a book called Clean Wave, and Eric does a kind of soup to nuts analysis of all the opportunities in solar wind and energy storage. And uh, so, uh, if you're if you're looking for a career, it's a great overview of all the different types of careers that you could have. So check out Clean Wave. I interviewed him on um, the solar podcast, the pre- previous version of this show when I was at Continental Energy Solutions, so you can catch that on YouTube, on the Continental uh, YouTube channel. So um, in our last few minutes together here, I'm curious, uh, Sean, you know, you're, you're here giving some NABCEP training on solar batteries and uh, the NEC. What, you know, what are what is what is keeping you up at night, Sean, in terms of the energy transition? Or are you very chill about the whole thing and you think everything is going to go swimmingly? Yeah, you know, I mean, what keeps me up at night is, well, I actually I try to go to bed early and get up real early. There's too much work. I mean, you talk to anybody like some of the, it's hard to refer somebody to somebody, you know, to get solar on their roof. I get people, you know, asking me, like, who should I get to do this? And the people that are doing it are so backed up that they can't take on the work or they promise and then they, they're two years later it gets installed. I mean, you hear that story all the time. Um, another thing is just there's some of these people out there, you know, selling solar that totally don't understand solar. So if people are going to buy solar, I recommend them to um, buy it from somebody that maybe has the NAPSEP PV technical sales certification. It takes Tim Montague and Sean White's class classes at Heat Spring. Um, on PV technical sales to get certified. But, um, you know, we don't want to get a bad reputation. Uh, but I see that there's just, there's there's so much work. Uh, have you ever met anybody, or at least recently in the solar industry, that's not too busy? Everybody's got too much work. Um, one way is to that people sometimes compensate with that is to raise their rates. Um, there's just lots of money in this industry now, especially due to the Incredible Renewable Act. That's the IRA, otherwise known as the Inflation Reduction Act. But it's the best thing ever that ever happened for solar. And it's also really good for manufacturing, bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. One of the things that I hate seeing is people that are getting abused, um, to say it nicely, in different countries for doing work in the solar industry. And then us and other people in Australia and all over the place using solar modules that if I, if I said what I think it is, like what we used to have, um, you know, when you make somebody work for free, I would probably get canceled. So I'm not going to say that right now. But it's 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 terrible, um, some of the ways that things are being made and bring it back to the U.S. There's, there's just tons of jobs. It's growing like crazy. And if you're not already in the industry, we need your help. And if you are in the industry, be one of those people that jumps up, you know, use your brain. Uh, a lot of people start off installing, but in, but you want to go beyond installing and start using your brain so you can work in an air-conditioned office that's, that where the air conditioning is paid uh, is powered by solar PV, wind, and um, those electrons are kind of evened out on the grid with energy storage. Yeah, I loved uh, Peter Green's comment or slide, you know, showing that the IRA has doubled the amount of solar and wind that we're going to install by 2030. And that is what good government is for, is leaning into these big transitions that society goes through. And yes, it's a combination of 
government and private industry. We all work uh, in private industry, and but it's a both end. And um, the the Biden administration has has done very right by the current and future generations of Americans. We see the 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 sheer volume of factories. This is battery factories, EV factories, solar panel factories that are now planned and under construction is just mind-boggling and that means high-paying jobs it means uh it, much easier access to these materials right we don't want to we don't want to ship them across the pacific ocean if we don't have to right now china makes 70 percent of all the solar modules in the world and we can change that but we have to get serious about that and we have to incentivize companies to prop up factories in the u.s um, i guess that's a question are we going to have enough factory workers to make all those solar panels, that's one of the things that I um, am concerned about. And that's where immigrants come in. Um, yeah, we have we have 300-plus million Americans, but we are a country of immigrants, and to be anti-immigrant is to be anti-American, in my opinion. We are built on and stand on the shoulders of being an immigrant nation, and we should welcome more capable, willing workers to this country from other places. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. Yeah, Yeah, and and you know we have robot technology and stuff, but we also have demographics. The baby boomers are retiring, so it's it's like, and that's like you know the biggest generation ever, and so we need replacement for that. And it's um, wages are high. People running a business are freaking out because they have to pay so much money for employees and things like that. Uh, and um, and so, uh, you know, and if you also if you look at people like you mentioned, Elon Musk, he's an immigrant, too. We want to bring all the smartest people in the world to be over here working for us and and creating jobs. And I have, I have a lot of friends that do stuff like that that are, it, that are it, from different countries. It really pains me that we have such a wonderful educational system. Right. And we're training millions of students from Asia and Europe uh, and then sending them home. Right, and I'm saying let's train them here, give them a good degree in engineering, and retain them, and make them citizens of the United States, not send them back. Uh, that brain drain is is very painful. Yeah, and I see that. I like I live near Silicon Valley, and my girlfriend's in tech, and she was born in a different country, and top of her class, and now she's over here, and just got you know she's got U.S. citizenship. She's been here most of her life, um, and. Um, I, I wanted to say one more thing because earlier I was beating up on oil companies really bad. What companies are better in a better position to make this transition happen? So they're, let's not call them oil companies. Let's call them energy companies. And instead of building, the, building these big old oil rigs out in the ocean, let's make big old wind turbines out in the ocean. Instead of um, distilling fossil fuels, they're going to be putting together hydrogen and carbon dioxide and making other types of fuels that didn't that came from co2 in the air and and hydrogen from h2o and um and so there's just uh, we just need to retool everything and it's everything's there in place and so it's going to happen so we still need those energy companies they just have to transition away from oil they're not bad people um i've done a lot of work for them they're they're in a lot of my classes too All right. Well, we've got just a couple of minutes left. I want to thank you, Sean White, for joining us today uh, here in Boulder, Colorado. I want to talk about upcoming events. We have RE Plus happening in Vegas. All of us will be there. I hope you are too, listeners. Join us in Vegas September 11 to 14 in Las Vegas. Um, in October, I'll be going to MNCA up in the Twin Cities. And then in November, I'll be going to Houston to Energy Storage North America, a Reuters event. I'm going to be moderating a Shark Tank on uh, energy storage. So excited for those events. What are you guys looking forward to on your calendar? Wow, I guess I'd have to look it up. Um, I get to go home for two weeks. I've been out of, I think it'll be five weeks that I have not been more home for more than a couple of days. Um, and then I'm going to be catching up on my 2023 National Electrical Code um, v- videos for Heat Spring. 
And then after that, I think I, I have a class for a community college in New Jersey, and then uh, on to more things like that. Of course, you said RE Plus. There's going to be Intersolar in January. There's going to be Tennessee, and um, uh, and then I, you can find out um, if you go to um, Solar Sean that SolarSean.com on the homepage there. I'm going to the. I have something set up for the Philippines. Uh, probably going back to Washington D.C. to work for Grid Alternatives. Is totally awesome, and I was there last week, and um, and I don't know. Since you mentioned Grid Alternatives, Sean, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Grid Alternatives? Yeah. So, speaking of Jimmy Carter, he's he is affiliated with Habitat for Humanity, and the Habitat for Humanity for Solar is Grid Alternatives. And in fact, they even have a picture of Jimmy Carter working on a Grid Alternatives job, and um, and so they do uh, solar for. Um, low-income people. I do a training that's based on a grant in Washington, D.C. for low-income people. Um, they they work with tribes and things like that. They actually administer some programs for the state of California um, for, like, multiple affordable housing so um, people that live in apartments and things like that can get solar, um, which is kind of a big deal. So they're totally awesome. They have 10 different offices. You can sign up to uh, 10 different offices throughout the United States and you could go to the gridalternatives.org and if you're in the right area you can sign up to do some solar installing just like people do Habitat for Humanity you could do grid alternative solar installs and so that's how a lot of people get their hands on experience I'm recommending them all the time and they are I it, it's hard to say my favorite nonprofit because I'm actually um, on the board of a nonprofit myself, but uh, they're my favorite nonprofit. ASIS is a nonprofit too. They're my other favorite nonprofit. They're um, and they, they all work together, and they're, they're just totally awesome. They have like great energy, great people. Anybody that's ever worked at Grid Alternatives, I love them. So, what about you, John? I think my favorite thing in Vegas because uh, it's Vegas this year for. Uh, RE Plus. I, you know, uh, commercial solar guys growing as a company, and as we're growing, I'm starting to be able to actually talk to some of these vendors better. And so it's going to be about walking the floor as always and just listening to people in a different way. So, in a way that my company actually can use them. And so, I think for me, it's going back to the basic beauty of the show walking the floor seeing what's available, meeting some salespeople that you can learn, have a handshake with so that when you follow up in six months, you you have a face with them because it's, it's the best, easiest way to meet buyers and sellers of hardware or sellers of hardware and services because uh, it's hard. It's hard to find, you know, hardware. It's hard to find this. It's hard to find that. And it takes time. If you got a nice long list and you got a collection of business cards, which I rarely use, but if you if you have this list, it, it just helps. And so, I've I've been thinking about this next one, and you know I'll be there with PV Magazine, uh, writing some articles, walking the floor. But the I'll be really paying attention this year to people who are making stuff, so I can shake some hands and know some folks. And and for our listeners who are. Uh, you know, technology companies and manufacturers, or uh, or other types of uh, energy companies. What are you looking for in a story? What types of stories do you like to cover? Um, we cover. I, my goal when I write stuff for PV Magazine USA is to find articles that really educate our readers and that have new data and new information. I'm not looking to just cover a press release unless the project has some knowledge I can share with our readers. And because my goal is, number one, is to teach myself so that I learn, but, and also, it's also to teach everybody who's reading and everybody who's paying attention. PV Magazine readers are very high percentage professionals, people like Sean, people like you, Tim, people who know solar, who are looking for knowledge. And so, if somebody has a piece of hardware that's coming out and they have a good feature set, send it to us. If they finished a great project and they want to show off how they financed it or, or the fact that they're a good construction firm, send us the project with some images, with some documentation on the finance tools. If you're, a, say, a developer 
and you're looking for certain types of projects, tell us what the projects you want and then tell us some projects you've already signed and found that kind of fit within your niche. Um, I, I want to put documents out that aren't just, you know, entertaining reading articles. We're not we're we're here to do business. So give us some meat so that we can educate our people, so we can link back to your website, so we can talk about like real solar knowledge, educational stuff. If, if you guys look at my Twitter account, it's really boring. I don't make any jokes. I don't do anything cool. I don't say anything funny. I just talk about solar. I talk about agrivoltaics. I talk about modules. I talk about um, batteries. I talk about EVs. And I, I specifically go for the meat of the articles, the stats, the hardware, the cost, the, the capacity. Um, I know this sounds really mean to all the uh, well-meaning PR people and the executives, but to be honest, most of the quotes that you folks put in your PR articles are fluff, and I'm not, we're not interested in fluff. Give us some math. Give us some data. Give us some hardware. Give us some gear that we can build, we can sell to our customers, and show off. That's that's what I want. So check out John's website, commercialsolarguy.com. Of course, you can find him on PV Magazine as well. And Sean White can be found at solarshawn.com, unless there's a better website for you, Sean. That's a good one, solarshawn.com or heatspring.com. You can find my classes there, too. Excellent. Um, and then all of our content is at cleanpowerhour.com. We're dropping a pre-recorded interview every Tuesday and this live on Thursdays, which also then goes on to our YouTube and audio channels on Fridays. So please check out cleanpowerhour.com. Give us a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends about the show. We are growing the energy transition one podcast, one news roundup at a time. We'll be back next week, Thursdays at noon Eastern, uh, most Thursdays of the year. So thank you all for being here. We do this for you. I'm Tim Montague. Let's grow solar and storage. Take care, John and John. Let's grow. Now you are done listening to the reposting of the Clean Power Hour from August 10th, 2023. And thanks for listening to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. To learn more, go to Solar, S-E-A-N, that's SolarSean.com. And not only does learning further your career, it prevents Alzheimer's disease, makes those neurons fire in the right way, and it ends up making you feel good. 